Section fifteen of London Labour and the London Poor by Henry Mayhew, Volume One. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. The Street Folk, Part Fifteen, of Green Fruit Selling in the Street. The fruit selling of the streets of London is of a distinct character from that of vegetable or fish selling, inasmuch as fruit is for the most part a luxury, and the others are principally necessaries there is no doubt that the consumption of fruit supplies a fair criterion of the condition of the working classes but the costermongers as a body of traders are little observant so that it is not easy to derive from them much information respecting the classes who are their customers or as to how their custom is influenced by the circumstances of the times one man however told me that during the last panic he sold hardly anything beyond mere necessaries. Other street sellers to whom I spoke could not comprehend what a panic meant. The most intelligent costers whom I conversed with agreed that they now sold less fruit than ever to working people, but perhaps more than ever to the dwellers in the smaller houses in the suburbs, and to shopkeepers who were not in a large way of business. One man sold baking apples, but not above a peck on an average weekly, to women whom he knew to be the wives of working men, for he had heard them say, Dear me, I didn't think it had been so late. There's hardly time to get the dumplings baked before my husband leaves work for his dinner. The course of my inquiries has shown me, and many employers whom I have conversed with are of a similar opinion, that the well-conducted and skilful artisan who, in spite of slop competition, continues to enjoy a fair rate of wages, usually makes a prudent choice of a wife, who perhaps has been a servant in a respectable family. Such a wife is probably used to cooking, and will oft enough make a pie or pudding to eke out the cold meat of the Monday's dinner, or for a treat for the children. With the mass of the working people, however, it is otherwise the wife perhaps has been reared to incessant toil with her needle and does not know how to make even a dumpling even if she possess as much knowledge she may have to labour as well as her husband and if their joint earnings enable them to have the added pudding there is still the trouble of making it and after a weary week's work rest is often a greater enjoyment than a gratification of the palate thus something easily prepared and carried off to the oven is preferred the slop workers of all trades never i believe taste fruit pie or pudding unless a penny one be brought at a shop or in the street and even among mechanics who are used to better diet the pies and puddings when wages are reduced or work grows slack are the first things that are dispensed with when the money doesn't come in sir one working man said to me we mustn't think of puddings, but of bread. A costermonger, more observant than the rest, told me that there were some classes to whom he had rarely sold fruit, and whom he had seldom seen buy any. Among these he mentioned sweeps, scavengers, dustmen, nightmen, gas pipe-layers, and sewermen, who preferred to any fruit something to bite in the mouth, such as a penneth of gin. My informant believed that this abstinence from fruit was common to all persons engaged in such offensive trades as fiddle-string-making, 
gut-dressing for whip-makers, or sausage-makers, knackers, and so on. He was confident of it, as far as his own experience extended. It is, moreover, less common for the women of the town, of the poorer sort, to expend pence in fruit than in such things as whelks, shrimps, or winks, to say nothing of gin. Persons whose stomachs may be one week jaded to excess, and the next be deprived of a sufficiency of proper food, seek for stimulants, or as they term it, relishes. The fruit-sellers, meaning thereby those who deal principally in fruit in the season, are the more intelligent costermongers. The calculation as to what a bushel of apples, for instance, will make in half or quarter pecks, puzzles the more ignorant, and they buy second-hand, or of a middleman, and consequently dearer. The Irish street-sellers do not meddle much with fruit, excepting a few of the very best class of them, and they do well in it, I was told. They have such tongue. The improvement in the quality of the fruit and vegetables now in our markets, and consequently in the necessaries and luxuries of the poorer classes, is very great. Prizes and medals have been deservedly awarded to the skilled and persevering gardeners, who have increased the size and heightened the flavour of the pineapple or the strawberry, who have given a thinner rind to the peach, or a fuller gush of juice to the apricot, or who have enhanced alike the bloom, the weight, and the size of the fruit of the vine, whether as regards the basic bunch or the individual grape. Still, these are benefits confined mainly to the rich. But there is another class of growers who have rendered greater services, and whose services have been comparatively unnoticed. I allude to those gardeners who have improved or introduced our everyday vegetables or fruit, such as now form the cheapest and most grateful and healthy enjoyments of the humbler portion of the community. I may instance the introduction of rhubarb, which was comparatively unknown until Mr. Myatt, now of Deptford, cultivated it thirty years ago. He then, for the first time, carried seven bundles of rhubarb into the borough market. Of these he could sell only three, and he took four back with him. Mr. Myatt could not recollect the price he received for the first rhubarb he ever sold in public but he told me that the stalks were only about half the substance of those he now produces. People laughed at him for offering physic pies, but he persevered, and I have shown what the sale of rhubarb now is. Moreover, the importation of foreign pines may be cited as another instance of the increased luxuries of the poor. The trade in this commodity was unknown until the year 1842. At that period Mr. James Wood and Messrs. Claypole and Son, of Liverpool, imported them from the Bahamas, a portion being conveyed to Messrs. Keeling and Hunt, of London. Since that period the trade has gradually increased until, instead of one thousand pines being sent to Liverpool, and a portion of them conveyed to London, as at first, two hundred thousand pines are now imported to London alone. The fruit is brought over in trees stowed in numbers from ten to thirty thousand in galleries constructed fore and aft in the vessel which is so extravagantly fragrant that it has to be ventilated to abate the odour 
but for this importation and but for the trade having become a part of the costermonger's avocation hundreds and thousands in london would never have tasted a pine apple the quality of the fruit has i am informed been greatly improved since its first introduction the best description of pines which covent garden can supply having been sent out to graft to increase the size and flavour of the bahaman products and this chiefly for the regalement of the palates of the humbler classes of london the supply from the bahamas is considered inexhaustible pine apples when they were first introduced were a rich harvest to the costermonger they made more money working these than any other article the pines cost them about fourpence each one with the other good and bad together and were sold by the costermonger at from one shilling to one shilling and sixpence the public were not aware then that the pines they sold were salt water touched and the people bought them as fast as they could be sold not only by the whole one but at a penny a slice for those who could not afford to give a shilling for the novelty had a slice as a taste for one penny the costermongers used then to have flags flying at the head of their barrows and gentlefolk would stop them in the streets indeed the sale for pines was chiefly among the gentry the poorer people sweeps dustmen cabmen occasionally had pennyworths just for the fun of the thing but gentle people i was told used to buy a whole one to take home so that all the family might have a taste one costermonger assured me that he had taken twenty-two shillings a day during the rage for pines when they first came up i have before stated that when the season is in its height the costermonger prefers the vending of fruit to the traffic in either fish or vegetables those however who have regular rounds and a connection must supply their customers with vegetables if not fish as well as fruit but the costers prefer to devote themselves principally to fruit i am unable therefore to draw a comparison between what a coster realises in fruit and what in fish as the two seasons are not contemporary the fruit sale is however as i have shown in page fifty four the costermonger's harvest all the costermongers with whom i conversed represented that the greater cheapness and abundance of fruit had been anything but a benefit to them nor did the majority seem to know whether fruit was scarcer or more plentiful one year than another unless in remarkable instances of the way in which the introduction of foreign fruit had influenced their trade they knew nothing if questioned on the subject the usual reply was that things got worse and people didn't buy so much fruit as they did half a dozen years back and so less was sold that these men hold such opinions must be accounted for mainly by the increase in their numbers of which i have before spoken and from their general ignorance the fruit of which there is the readiest sale in the streets is one usually considered among the least useful cherries probably the greater eagerness on the part of the poorer classes to purchase this fruit arises from its being the first of the fresh green kind which our gardens supply for street sale after the winter and the early spring an intelligent costermonger suggested other reasons poor people he said like a quantity of any fruit and no fruit is cheaper than cherries at a penny a pound 
at which I've sold some hundreds of pounds weight. I'm satisfied, sir, that if a cherry could be grown that weighed a pound, and was of a finer flavour than ever was known before, poor people would rather have a number of little ones, even if they was less weight and inferior quality. Then boys buy, I think, more cherries than other fruit, because after they've eaten them they can play at cherry stones. From all I can learn, the half-pennyworth of fruit purchased most eagerly by a poor man, or by a child, to whom the possession of a half-penny is a rarity, is cherries. I asked a man with a good connection, according to his own account, as to who were his customers for cherries. He enumerated ladies and gentlemen, working people, wagoners and carters, Note, who slipped them quietly into their pockets, he said. Parlour livers, note, so he called the occupants of parlours, maid servants, and soldiers. Soldiers, I was told, are very fond of something for a change from their feed, which is about as regular as a prison's. The current, and the fruit of the same useful genus, the gooseberry, are sold largely by the costermongers. The price of the currants is a penny or tuppence the half pint, a penny being the more usual charge. Of red currants there is the greatest supply, but the black go off better. The humbler classes buy a half pint of the latter for a dumpling, and they're reckoned, said my informant, capital for a sore throat, either in jam or a pudding. Gooseberries are also retailed by the half pint, and are cheaper than currants. Perhaps a halfpenny the half-pint is the average street price. The working classes do not use ripe gooseberries as they do ripe currants for dumplings, but they are sold in greater quantities, and may be said to constitute, when first introduced, as other productions do afterwards, the working people's Sunday dessert. Only you go on board a cheap steamer to Greenwich on a fine summer Sunday, observed a street-seller to me, and you'll see lots of young women with gooseberries in their handkerchiefs in their laps. Servant-maids is very good customers for such things as gooseberries, for they always has a penny to spare. The costers sell green gooseberries for dumplings, and sometimes to the extent of a fourth of the ripe fruit. The price of green gooseberries is generally a halfpenny a pint dearer than the ripe. When strawberries descend to such a price as places them at the costermonger's command, the whole fraternity is busily at work, and as the sale can easily be carried on by women and children, the coster's family take part in the sale, offering at the corners of streets the fragrant pottle, with the crimson fruit just showing beneath the green leaves at the top. Of all cries, too, perhaps that of Ho Boys is the most agreeable. Strawberries, however, according to all accounts, are consumed least of all fruits by the poor. They like something more solid, I was told, something to bite at, and a penny pottle of strawberries is only like a taste. What's more, too, the really good fruit never finds its way into penny pottles. The Costa's best customers are dwellers in the suburbs, who purchase strawberries on a Sunday especially for dessert for they think that they get them fresher in that way than by reserving them from the Saturday night, and many are tempted by seeing or hearing them cried in the streets. There is also a good Sunday sale about the steam wharfs, to people going on the river, especially when young women and children are members of a party, 
and likewise in the Clark districts, as Camden Town and Camberwell. Very few bottles, comparatively, are sold in public houses. They don't go well down with the beer at all, I was told. The city people are good customers for street strawberries, conveying them home. Good strawberries are tuppence a bottle in the streets when the season is at its height. Inferior are one penny. These are the most frequent prices. In raspberries, the costa does little, selling them only to such customers as use them for the sake of jam or for pastry. The price is from sixpence to one shilling and sixpence the bottle, ninepence being the average. The great staple of the street trade in green fruit is apples. These are first sold by the travelling costas, by the measure, for pies and so on, and to the classes I have described as the makers of pies. The apples, however, are soon vended in penny or half-penny worths, and then they are bought by the poor who have a spare penny for the regalement of their children or themselves, and they are eaten without any preparation. Pears are sold to the same classes as are apples. The average price of apples, as sold by the costermonger, is four shillings a bushel and six a penny. The sale in halfpenny and pennyworths is very great. Indeed, the costermongers sell about half the apples brought to the markets, and I was told that for one pennyworth of apples bought in a shop, forty were bought in the street. Pears are ninepence a bushel generally, dearer than apples, but numerically they run more to the bushel. The costas purchase the French apples at the wharf close to London Bridge, on the Southwark side. They give ten shillings, twelve shillings, eighteen shillings, or twenty shillings for a case containing four bushels. They generally get from ninepence to one shilling profit on a bushel of English, but on the French apples they make a clear profit of from one shilling and threepence to two shillings a bushel, and would make more, but the fruit sometimes turns out damaged. This extra profit is owing to the French giving better measure, their four bushels being about five market bushels, as there is much straw packed up with the English apples, and none with the French. Plums and damsons are less purchased by the humbler classes than apples, or than any other larger-sized fruit which is supplied abundantly. If I've worked plums or damsons, said an experienced costermonger, and have told any woman pricing them they don't look so ripe, but they're all better for a pie, she's answered, oh, a plum pie's too fine for us, and what's more, it takes too much sugar. They are sold principally for desserts, and in pennyworths, at a penny the half-pint for good, and a halfpenny for inferior. Greengages are fifty per cent higher. Some costers sell a cheap lot of plums to the eating-house keepers, and sell them more readily than they sell apples to the same parties. West Indian pineapples are, as regards the street sale, disposed of more in the city than elsewhere. They are bought by clerks and warehousemen, who carry them to their suburban homes. The slices at a halfpenny and a penny are bought principally by boys. The average price of a good street pine is ninepence. Peaches are an occasional sale with the costermongers, and are disposed of to the same classes as purchase strawberries and pines. The street sale of peaches is not practicable if the price exceed one penny apiece. Of other fruits, vended largely in the streets, I have spoken under their respective heads. 
the returns before cited as to the quantity of home-grown and foreign green fruit sold in london and the proportion disposed of by the costermongers give the following results in round numbers as to the absolute quantity of the several kinds of green fruit oranges and nuts excepted distributed throughout the metropolis by the street sellers three hundred and forty three thousand bushels of apples home grown thirty four thousand five hundred and sixty bushels of apples foreign one hundred and seventy six thousand five hundred bushels of pears home grown seventeen thousand two hundred and thirty five bushels of pears foreign one million thirty nine thousand two hundred pounds of cherries home grown one hundred and seventy six thousand one hundred and sixty pounds of cherries foreign eleven thousand seven hundred and sixty six bushels of plums one hundred bushels of greengages five hundred and forty eight bushels of damsons two thousand four hundred and fifty bushels of bullaces two hundred and seven thousand five hundred and twenty five bushels of gooseberries eighty five thousand five hundred sieves of red currants thirteen thousand five hundred sieves of black currants three thousand sieves of white currants seven hundred and sixty three thousand seven hundred and fifty bottles of strawberries one thousand seven hundred and sixty two bottles of raspberries thirty thousand four hundred and eighty five bottles of mulberries six thousand and twelve bushels of hazelnuts seventeen thousand two hundred and eighty pounds of filberts twenty six thousand five hundred and sixty three pounds of grapes twenty thousand pines of the orange and nut market in houndsditch there is a market supported principally by costermongers who there purchase their oranges lemons and nuts this market is entirely in the hands of the jews and although a few tradesmen may attend it to buy grapes still it derives its chief custom from the street dealers who say they can make far better bargains with the israelites note as they never refuse an offer end note, than they can with the Covent Garden salesmen, who generally cling to their prices. This market is known by the name of Duke's Place, although its proper title is St. James's Place. The nearest road to it is through Duke's Street, and the two titles have been so confounded that at length the mistake has grown into a custom. Duke's Place, as the costers call it, is a large square yard, with the iron gates of a synagogue in one corner, a dead wall forming one entire side of the court, and a gas-lamp on a circular pavement in the centre. The place looks as if it were devoted to money-making, for it is quiet and dirty. Not a gilt letter is to be seen over a doorway. There is no display of gaudy colour or sheets of plate-glass, such as we see in a crowded thoroughfare when a customer is to be caught by show. As if the merchants knew their trade was certain, they are content to let the London smoke do their painter's work. On looking at the shops in this quarter, the idea forces itself upon one that they are in the last stage of dilapidation. Never did property in Chancery look more ruinous. Each dwelling seems as though a fire had raged in it, for not a shop in the market has a window to it, and beyond the few sacks of nuts exposed for sale they are empty the walls within being blackened with dirt, and the paint without blistered in the sun, while the door-posts are worn round with the shoulders of the customers, and black as if charred. A few sickly hens wander about, 
turning over the heaps of dried leaves that the oranges have been sent over in, or roost the time away on the shafts and wheels of the nearest truck. Excepting on certain days, there is little or no business stirring, so that many of the shops have one or two shutters up, as if a death had taken place, and the yard is as quiet as an inn of court. At a little distance, the warehouses, with their low ceilings, open fronts, and black sides, seem like dark holes or coal stores, and but for the mahogany backs of chairs showing at the first floors, you would scarcely believe the houses to be inhabited, much more to be elegantly furnished as they are. One of the drawing-rooms that I entered here was warm and red with Morocco leather, Spanish mahogany, and curtains and turkey carpets, while the ormolu chandelier and the gilt frames of the looking-glass and pictures twinkled at every point in the firelight. The householders in Duke's place are all of the Jewish persuasion, and among the costers a saying has sprung up about it. When a man has been out of work for some time, he is said to be cursed like a pig in Duke's place. Almost every shop has a scripture name over it, and even the public houses are of the Hebrew faith, their signs appealing to the followers of those trades which most abound with Jews. There is the jeweller's arms, patronized greatly of a Sunday morning, when the Israelite jewellers attend to exchange their trinkets and barter amongst themselves. Very often the counter before the bar may be seen covered with golden ornaments, and sparkling with precious stones, amounting in value to thousands of pounds. The landlord of this house of call is licensed to manufacture tobacco and cigars. There is also the fishmonger's arms, the resort of the vendors of fried souls. Here, in the evening, a concert takes place, the performers and audience being Jews. The landlord of this house, too, is licensed to manufacture tobacco and cigars. Entering one of these houses, I found a bill announcing a Bible to be raffled for the property of blank. And lastly, there is Benjamin's Coffee House, open to old clothesmen, and here again the proprietor is a licensed tobacco manufacturer. These facts are mentioned to show the untiring energy of the Jew when anything is to be gained, and to give an instance of the curious manner in which this people support each other. Some of the nut and orange shops in Duke's Place it would be impossible to describe. At one sat an old woman with jet-black hair and a wrinkled face, nursing an infant and watching over a few matted baskets of nuts, ranged on a kind of carpenter's bench placed upon the pavement. The interior of the house was as empty as if it had been to let, excepting a few bits of harness hanging against the wall, and an old salt-box nailed near the gas-lamp in which sat a hen, hatching, as I was told. At another was an excessively stout Israelite mother, with crisp negro's hair and long gold earrings, rolling her child on the table used for sorting the nuts. Here the black walls had been chalked over with scores, and every corner was filled up with sacks and orange cases. Before one warehouse, a family of six, from the father to the infant, were busy washing walnuts in a huge tub with a trap to the side, and around them were ranged measures of the wet fruit. The Jewish women are known to make the fondest parents, and in Duke's place there certainly was no lack of fondlings. Inside almost every parlour 
a child was either being nursed or romped with and some little things were being tossed nearly to the ceiling and caught screaming with enjoyment in the jewelled hands of the delighted mother at other shops might be seen a circle of three or four women some old as if grandmothers grouped admiringly round a hook-nosed infant tickling it and poking their fingers at it in a frenzy of affection the counters of these shops are generally placed in the open streets like stalls and the shop itself is used as a store to keep the stock in on these counters are ranged the large matting baskets some piled up with dark brown polished chestnuts shining like a racer's neck others filled with wedge-shaped brazil nuts and rough hairy cocoa nuts there are heaps too of newly washed walnuts a few showing their white crumpled kernels as a sample of their excellence before every doorway are long pot-bellied boxes of oranges with the yellow fruit just peeping between the laths on top and lemons yet green are ranged about in their paper jackets to ripen in the air in front of one store the paving stones were soft with the sawdust emptied from the grape cases and the floor of the shop itself was whitened with the dry powder here stood a man with a long tasselled smoking cap puffing with his bellows at the blue bunches on a tray and about him were the boxes with the paper lids thrown back and the round sea-green berries just rising above the sawdust as if floating in it close by was a group of dark-eyed women bending over an orange case picking out the rotten from the good fruit while a sallow-complexioned girl was busy with her knife scooping out the damaged parts until what with the sawdust and orange peel the air smelt like the pit of a circus nothing could be seen in this strange place that did not in some way or another appertain to jewish customs a woman with a heavy gold chain round her neck went past carrying an old green velvet bonnet covered with feathers and a fur tippet that she had either recently purchased or was about to sell another woman whose features showed her to be a gentile was hurrying toward the slop shop in the minories with a richly quilted satin-lined coat done up in her shawl and the market basket by her side as if the money due for the work were to be spent directly for housekeeping at the corner of duke's street was a stall kept by a jew who sold things that are eaten only by the hebrews here in a yellow pie dish were pieces of stewed apples floating in a thick puce-coloured sauce one man that i spoke to told me that he considered his sunday morning's work a very bad one if he did not sell his five or six hundred bushels of nuts of different kinds he had taken one hundred and fifty pounds that day of the street sellers and usually sold his hundred pounds worth of goods in a morning many others did the same as himself here i met with every attention and was furnished with some valuable statistical information concerning the street trade end of section fifteen